0: While the world would tell us we need to earn our way to Jesus, the scriptures continuously show us that he cares for the lost and has come to bring salvation to those who recognize their need for him. His desire is for everyone to be reconciled with him. So, he continues to offer. Awesome. Well, uh, I just want to give a shout out to our summer student, which is ironic because it's not summer right now, but we can do it all the way to January. Benji Edinger, who's in my office doing the online stream. Can we just give him a round of applause? Because uh, he does a whole lot of stuff uh, behind the scenes. And in this season, as we're uh, beginning to get things up and running, he's been a really big help. So Ben, if you're watching this, which I hope you are... uh, (laughs) because you're in the office and not on your phone. Right, Ben? I just want to thank you so much for what you do. He made that awesome video. So epic. I mean, uh, it just makes me feel like this sermon is just going to feel like we're on a mountaintop. Not actually, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Anyways, we're talking about the invitation. Can you say invitation? Invitation. Um, And uh, again, thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for those that are watching on Line. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we are able to gather. It's a privilege that we're able to be here this morning and to uh, to have church online as well. It's a beautiful, beautiful and important thing. And we've been in this series called The Invitation, talking about this for a couple weeks now, learning about all the different ways that Jesus extended an invitation to faith and to be a kingdom living person and obviously to be able to live for eternity in heaven to tons of different kinds of people that completely impacted and made a difference in their life. And today we're going to look at a different kind of invitation that Jesus gave specifically to a guy named Peter. Can you say Peter? Peter, yeah. And he's, Peter is an awesome guy in the New Testament, especially in the book of Matthew, which we're going to be reading a, quite a few passages of this morning. You're going to notice that uh, Jesus and Peter had this really unique relationship. And uh, I like to think as Peter of the guy, who kind of like he just never stopped talking. Like, he, like, always had something to say at all times. He always asked a question. He was always like, Jesus, I don't know about that, man. Are you sure? And and we get to learn about uh, how... Jesus invited Peter into this relationship and how it really transformed his character and who he was from the inside out. And like I mentioned, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today, probably more reading than, than preaching, but I believe there's a lot that the text has to say. Um, so I want to just encourage you to kind of write these down because we're going to go through them quickly, or if you're watching online or you guys can kind of go back and watch it later as well, it's going to be important. First thing I would like to start is at the place where Peter um, is mentioned the very first time in the Gospels. And we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 18. And this kind of section of the passage is called, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. So verse 18 starts here. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. That was easy. That's, that's why I think when I when I read that text, I was like, all right, Jesus just shows up. He says, hey, you guys, don't worry about the fish anymore. We'll figure that out later. Just come follow me. And then he presses that easy button that you, you remember you buy from Staples back in the day. Um, I need one of those again. They weren't annoying. They were awesome. Here's the thing. Sometimes when we read the scriptures like that, we go, okay, that's awesome. The one thing I knew is that Jesus called Peter and Andrew, and they left what they were doing and following him. But what's a little bit harder to do sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, and this is why I would encourage you, if you don't own one already, is to get a study Bible, because it kind of helps you read between the lines a little bit of understanding context. And anytime time that I get the opportunity to, to speak on a Sunday and even on Wednesdays, I want to go a little bit deeper into what this text Uh, is talking about so what do we know about peter so far well we know that originally his name was actually Simon or simon um and that he was a jewish person Um, he was one of the first disciples that was called by jesus along with his brother andrew and that he was a fisherman the important part here is that he was Jewish and he was a fisherman. So um, lots of people at this time were fishermen. Uh, about half the disciples were fishermen, we think. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of a context of what it was like to be a fisherman End this time of day, okay? So this is a quote. I forget who it's from because I didn't put the author's name at the bottom, but I'm going to read it here for you. It says this, The Sea of Galilee is the world's lowest freshwater lake with a surface approximately 680 feet below sea level and a maximum depth of 150 feet. It is roughly 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. The lake is completely encircled by a beach, and the water is cool and clear. Fishing was an important occupation in Galilee during Jesus' time. Bessadia, an ancient Galilean fishing village, mentioned seven times in Scripture, was located on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. The place derives its name from the words meaning place of nets or fishery. See, fishing, um, it was not really a thing. In Jesus' time, except in this area, it was booming when Jesus was starting his ministry. And this is an interesting point that I want us to just focus on for a minute, is that Jesus specifically... Many, many times, even when he calls his first followers, his disciples, Peter and Andrew, he used the culture that he lived in to express an invitation. Now, I'm not talking about the culture of sin that was going on at that time, but the culture that they lived in, the occupations, the family, all the different things that were going on in their life. He used the culture that was relevant Okay, to extend an invitation. So you can just kind of put that in your back pocket as you think about what it's like to talk to your friends about Jesus or to invite somebody to church. Um, You know, we do certain things not to just bow down to culture, but we go, actually, this is the culture that we live in. And we're not going to bow to sin necessarily, right? But we're willing to adapt in certain ways to the culture to extend the invitation to Jesus. Great example. We bought a bunch of cameras because we had no choice but to go online. For the last two years, everything was going online. So we said we're going to invest finances in this to extend the invitation from Jesus. And me and Pastor Chad and the staff were just talking this past week that people have literally moved from other cities to Stratford viewed online because our website is our front door have come to the church have gotten saved and even some have gotten baptized how cool is that that's so cool that what that is is the same thing as this using the culture we live in to extend the invitation of faith to the people around us cool thing about fishermen is they actually spent most of their time crafting nets. So they didn't even spend that much time fishing, but they meticulously had to put together their nets to be able to catch the fish. And they worked very, very long hours all year long. So some of you, you can relate to that. You're like, I know exactly what that's like. The only day I ever get off is Christmas. And even then, sometimes I'm still called into work. Being a fisherman at this time was a very important job, and we can actually assume that when Jesus called Peter, there was very good reason for Peter and Andrew to put their nets to the side and decide... To follow him because this was a big deal. This was an important occupation. This is the, the thing that was going to feed their friends and their family. And for him to just toss his net aside, he had to be convinced in some way or another that this was the right thing to do. So, what we're going to do over the next few minutes is look at some specific stories in scripture of Jesus and Peter's interactions and how it proves that Peter putting his net aside and saying, Yes, I'm going to accept that invitation to follow Jesus was actually worth it, how it actually made. Sense So first thing I want to talk about today is uh, Peter's, we're going to look at three different lessons from Peter. And the first lesson I want to look at is that the lesson is we are invited to share, invited to share. So after choosing to let go of his net and follow Jesus, Peter actually experienced some pretty amazing things that would have shocked him. And you and I, if we saw this in real life, flipped our world and his world upside down. Everything that he thought he once knew of how the world worked was now questionable once Jesus was on the scene. Okay? So, for example, when Jesus began to preach and teach some very countercultural ways of living. Okay? So, not countercultural in the sense of, like, instead of being a fisherman. Oh, I feel like I got a dog hair attached to my beard. (laughs) That's a quite normal thing. So, if you see me... You know, working out my mustaches because of moose. I don't know. Maybe I kissed him this morning. Just kidding. That would be weird. I don't. Does anybody else kiss their dog? Is that just me? Okay. All right. Don't make me feel lonely there. <laughs> um, here's, a, here's a couple stories of, of what Jesus witnessed uh, sorry, what Peter witnessed Jesus do that was beginning to alter his view of the world. Okay. So, for example, Matthew 5, 17, just one chapter later, uh, verses 17, 20, and 38 to 41. Do not think that I have come to do away with the law of Moses or the writings of the early preachers. I have not come to do away with them, but to complete them. All right? Peter being a Jewish guy, he would have understood the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. In fact, if you were actually a committed Jew at this time, by the age of 15, normally, you would have had the entire Torah memorized. Some of us are like, man, I'm still trying to figure out John 3.16, and that's okay. There's no shame in that. But if we were Jewish out to this day, we would have been forced to learn the first five books of the Bible. It would be crazy. So he knows the, Mos- the, the law of Moses, okay, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus comes on the scene and is like, hey, I'm not here to just tell you about them. I'm here to actually live it to the point where I fulfill that law. That's going to start to make some things in Peter's head spin, like Dude, not everybody just says that and gets away with it. And obviously, we know later in the text that's the point. Verse 20 says, I tell you, unless you are more right with God than the teachers of the law and the proud religious law keepers, you will never get into the holy nation of heaven. This is another interesting point in the scripture because, you know, at this time, it almost felt like there was a mediator between you and God. You know, the, the priests and the religious law, uh, the rulers and the keepers of the religious law, it felt like there was a mediator. If, if you wanted to go to God, you had to go to them first, and you had to be on their good side, right? And, and we know that the only people that Jesus had a thing with, that had a little bit of beef with, was religious people of the day, ironically, right? He's hung out with all different kinds of tax collectors and adulterers and sinners of all kinds. And the only people he ever gets upset with, ever, that we read in the New Testament As religious leaders of that day, it's starting to tick. It's starting to move in Peter's brain. Things are starting to change. Verse 38 to 41, says, You have heard it, and it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not fight with the man who wants to fight. Whoever hits you on the right side of the face, turn so he can hit you on the other side also. If any person takes you to court for your shirt, give him your coat also. Whoever makes you walk a short way, go with him twice as far. See, what Jesus is expressing to the crowd he's talking to, and Peter's there listening to him, is totally altering his worldview. Jesus also performed many miracles right in front of Peter's eyes. Matthew 8 1 to 3, and 4 to 15 says this. "'Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down to the mountainside. "'Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. "'Lord,' the man said, "'if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean.' "'So Jesus reached out and touched him, and he said, "'I am willing. Be healed.' "'And instantly the leprosy disappeared.'" Verse 14, "'When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, "'Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. "'But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. "'Then she got up and prepared a meal for him.'" So Peter's now witnessing, and those are just two stories of many in the text that you can go back and read in the uh, the chapters in Matthew, but people are not, he's not just hearing Jesus talk about some really kind of whack stuff for that day, but he's also seeing people get miraculously and physically healed, even his own, I believe it says, mother-in-law with a high fever, okay, and they didn't have just some Tylenol back in the day. That was probably close to death when it meant high fever in bed. Peter's worldview is totally Being altered. So, what do we learn so far? Jesus has done, is doing, and will continue to do amazing things. And if you have been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you've probably collected a few amazing stories that might be similar to Peter's experiences of how Jesus did a miracle in your life or someone's life that you know. And even though we're not seeing Jesus face to face right now like Peter did until we get to see him in heaven face to face, like we talked about and sung about earlier this morning, he's still doing great things. And these things, are meant to be shared with others. Your story, okay? You are invited to share your story. Your story can actually be the seed that is planted in another person's heart that helps them and leads them to accepting the invitation that Jesus extended to you and also that other person. Don't discredit the amazing things that God has done, is doing, and will do in your life. That can be the front door for somebody else's introduction and invitation to faith. But eventually, we're brought to this pivotal moment in Peter's journey following Jesus. Thus far, Peter has watched amazing things happen, but we know he wanted to truly know if Jesus was the promised Messiah, the, the Savior that the Jewish people were waiting and praying for for so long. When we turn to Matthew 14, verses 24 to 33, we read, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus became, um, came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Perfect for Halloween, just saying. <laughs> but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then, out of all the other disciples, Peter calls out to him, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. This is the moment where things are starting to change for Peter. He's seen miracles happen, he's seen Jesus preach a countercultural way of living. Things are starting to tick in his head, and he finally goes, All right, I'm gonna put Jesus to the test. Is he really the one we've been waiting for? Jesus says, Yes, come here. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately re- reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Now, there's a lot in this passage that can be preached alone, and we could just sit on this for the rest of the morning, but, you know, we can go into the context of what the storm and location was like. We could uh, learn about the different superstitions they thought Jesus was a ghost. There's a whole lot in between the lines when you read about the culture of what they believed then, like sea monsters and all this kind of stuff. Um, But I'd like to take a few moments to camp on Peter's experience with Jesus, because up until this moment, we've seen that Jesus has done many different amazing things in front of Peter Things that I believe that if we saw today would increase our faith. If we saw Jesus face to face and heal a leper and, and and help our mother-in-law come back to health and all these different kinds of things. And it made me ask myself, why is it that sometimes I don't believe, even when I have seen Jesus do amazing things in so many other people's life? Why Why is it that I have... Many countless stories of friends where Jesus has done a miracle in their life and totally flipped their world upside down, but yet sometimes I don't believe. It made me ask that question. And the hard truth is, I believe that you know what's true is a tension that we wrestle with, and it kind of lives in the middle of doubt and faith. And sharing your story with others is so, so important because it can be that front door to accepting the free gift of forgiveness from Jesus. But there's actually an element of faith that takes place when accepting the invitation. Why do I talk about this? My point is that when you share your story, it can lead somebody to salvation. They can go, oh my gosh, if Jesus did that for you, he could do it for me. And before he does it for them, and before something actually happens, they could come to faith. In my experience that hasn 't necessarily been the case a lot of times as i've i 've shared my faith and and friends have been man that 's actually so cool i, I don 't know how to explain that like they 're just kind of dumbfounded like i don't i don't know why, but it doesn 't necessarily mean okay i 'll come to church with you because because Jesus like there was a thousand dollar check at your doors randomly like i 'll be at church because I want a thousand dollar check that 's not necessarily what happens. So I want to encourage you this morning that sharing your story is so important. What we can learn from Peter's experience so far is that we are invited to share our story. But whoever you're inviting into faith, just like when you were invited, it's going to take that person to take a step. The story might be all they need. But in my situation and in my experiences, what's happened is the people that I've shared with eventually have to come to a place where they decide to step out of the boat and go, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to trust that Jesus is who he said he is? Like like he has been apparently for Pastor Carlo and these other people that have invited me and stuff, but am I going to choose to follow? Which brings us to a second lesson I want to learn from Peter's journey with Jesus is that we're invited to change. First, we're invited to to share, and were are invited to change. Matthew 16, 30, or 13 to 19 is titled Peter's Declaration About Jesus. This is after he steps out of the boat and walks on water. When Jesus came to the region of something Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say it's John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked, he asked them, But who do you say I am? Then Peter answered, of course, Peter, right? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. So at this point, his name is Simon, even though we read in the text for our familiarity that we're reading about Peter. But at this point, he was referred to as Simon until... Jesus says, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I want you to remember that as we move to the last point this morning. On this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Do you remember the time where you truly decided to go, I'm going to follow you Jesus you are you are lord I believe who you say you are You know, some people have expressed that this has been like a personal, emotional moment. And some people kind of talk about how this goes back to when they were uh, a young kid and being led in the Lord's Prayer for the first time. But what I'm asking, and similar to Peter's experience, is he's been walking and talking with Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He's like, Jesus is a real dude. He's clearly doing some stuff that I ain't seen nobody else do. And he claims that he's the Son of God. When was the moment when you actually were like, Jesus is the Son of God? Like, in your head, there was a switch that made you actually declare it just like Peter. You had this moment where you're like, I got to take a step of faith. It wasn't just a, a prayer that somebody led you in. And although those things are important and good and part of our journey, when was the point where you made a conscious decision to go, Jesus is who he said he was. I remember my kind of story was uh, I was the overflow kid. And if you don't know what overflow is, this is a, a big youth convention that we bring our students to in May, which is gonna be so much fun. We're doing the junior high version of that this coming weekend, and it's gonna be amazing. Shameless plug, we got a few tickets left. So if you're in grade five or six and you wanna come, talk to me, we'll get you there. It's gonna be a good time. Or if you wanna bring a friend, we'll send your friend for free. Okay? we'll just send them for free because we want to. All right, I just said that. We got a couple bucks left in the youth budget. We can do that this year, right, Lorraine? <laughs> okay, awesome. Good, good, good. Everyone's like, whoa, get on the bus. We're all going for free. No, you have to be in grade five or six. Okay, Tim, sorry, bro. Unless you want to be a leader, you can't come. I'm just saying. But maybe for uh, maybe for Overflow, because you've been in Overflow, right? It's awesome. It's so good. It's Overflow is amazing. It's it's this weekend where um, we pack up the youth, we put them on a bus normally, and we we have a uh, a really fun time. We usually do and Waterloo at the Memorial Complex, and thousands of youth groups across Western Ontario all come together for this weekend. And here's the cool thing. All over Canada, there's different overflows. So they're not all called overflow. One's called Youth Convention, one called History Makers. There's a, another one in the East Coast. And there's all of these mo- the places, locations, on the same weekend every year where thousands, tens of thousands of teenagers gather together to lift up the name of Jesus. And I remember going on the Friday for the very first time, I think I was in grade eight, I don't quite remember, and uh, I remember giving my life to the Lord, and I had uh, been going to the youth group for probably two, maybe three years at this point, and I heard the good news, I went, yeah, Jesus is cool, like, I'm down, but there was a moment that finally kind of switched in my brain like Peter, and I had to take a step of faith, and I, I remember uh, if you know me, you know I like to kind of get in trouble on purpose sometimes. Like, I used to do this thing at my old church, um, and I used to find a way to get in the rafters of the ceiling in the sanctuary, which was almost like 100 feet tall. Like, it was like this real, or maybe like 75, like really, really tall. And we would we would go up there in the balcony that just was like this little thing with a bar on it to hold some lights, and we would watch our lead pastor preach on Sunday. It was like really, really dangerous. And I remember, <laughs> I'm going on a tangent here, but it's funny. And I remember. A couple of weeks ago, I was being part of a, a worship team for a conference just this past week. And uh, one of the students that I, I had led, he was in junior high. I was in high school. He was playing guitar. And it was so cool to be able to do that again. It was just like old times. And he had never been up to this place, which won't make sense to you, but we called it the Tate Zone. because was a guy named Scott Tate that was the janitor at the time that would go up there. So we tried to go up there as the Tate Zone. And I brought him up there. But I'm 28 years old. I'm like, this is illegal now. And I brought somebody else up. And this is not going to be good. But my point is, I liked kind of getting into places that I couldn't. Not for sin, but I just liked getting on top of buildings. I don't know why. I just loved climbing roofs. So I go to Overflow uh, the Friday night for the very first time. I see this balcony in the back. Everybody's like, the the song is going. It's really emotional. All the kids are crowded at the front. And I kind of dip out for a minute. And I go, I'm going to get up there. And I find my way up there. And I actually have one of the most incredible moments with God I've ever had and I looked out over this crowd three four five thousand teenagers all from all over Western Ontario all from different nationalities backgrounds uh, even belief and worldview and systems and I went God I am convinced that you are who you say you are because all of these different people showed up on the same weekend to have the same experience with you and that's when it clicked for me i I believed in a higher power to that time. Like, I even called that higher power God, let's say, when I was younger. And I didn't necessarily grow up in church, but I always believed that there was more than meets the eye kind of thing. And then there was this moment where it finally clicked for me, and I went, God, I am convinced. And I took a step of faith, not off the balcony, don't worry. (laughs) I took a step of faith that weekend, and I I went, I'm going to follow you, Lord. And I haven't turned back since then. And so we're going to take up an offering today for... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Usually we do, we do a big overflow thing, everything I talk about that. But I'm just kidding. We're not doing that today. Um, but the invitation that Jesus offered to Peter completely changed his life to the point that it extended a name change. And though a name change isn't necessarily required today in the culture that we live in, the culture that the disciples lived in, the meaning of your name was actually really important it was really really important and parents did not give their kids just like random names for example but they had meaning and purpose behind them and i would like to publicly thank my mom and my dad for giving me the name carlo this is really cool my my father's name was vincenzo can you say that vincenzo put your hand out like this. this is an italian thing okay tell me tell me what other nationality has their own emoji all right tell me what other nationality it's just us italians i love it but my my dad was vince or vincenzo okay my my grandfather who i unfortunately never was able to meet his name was carlo and i was i was named after my grandpa and my dad was named after his grandpa and i just assume that that's what it's been like since the beginning okay whoever the first vincenzo is is probably from the history line of my family tree and so uh me and maddie don't have much choice When a boy comes, their name is Vincenzo. This is the way it is. It's just the way that it is. Carlo, I looked it up years ago, actually means strong man. I was like, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you so much. Since I've been married, I've learned probably more accurately the Maddie translations. Carlo doesn't mean strong man. It means strong willed. Or hard headed. is probably uh, another way to per- to put it. So e- even though um, your may- your name might not mean uh, something like, a cool like that or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But I would encourage you actually to look up what your name means if you haven't before, because it's actually really neat. And um, I-, I just I just uh, I just think that the name that we have is is actually directly part of of who we are and our character. And I'm not talking about the name that maybe our parents gave us, even though that's part of it. It's actually the name change or the identity change, if I could put it into better words, that God does when we take that step of faith and we accept the invitation. Jesus did not change Peter's name from Simon because he liked it better. But there was a meaning behind it who says, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, a.k.a. on you, Peter, I am going to build my church. Point three, lesson three, what we can learn from Peter's experience is that we're invited to be empowered. As we follow along with the story of Peter and Jesus' relationships, many times we read about Peter asking questions, observing what's going on, and normally being the first one to kind of blurt out and ask a question or state the obvious. And Peter believed Jesus and who he said he was, but he struggled with doubt. And in Matthew 26, 31 to 35, and then 69 to 75 are two really important parts of Peter's relationship with Jesus. 31 says this, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, again, Peter, right? Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you, Lord. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the, others, all the other disciples vowed the same thing. Just a few verses later, we read this, titled, Peter Denies Jesus. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over to him and said, you were one of those that were hanging around with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, hey, this this dude, this Peter guy, he's hanging out with Jesus of Nazareth, who's literally on trial right now. Again, Peter denied it, at this time with an oath. I don't even know this man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, no, 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 I've seen you before. You must have been... With that, I can tell by your accent where you're from. You're from the same town he is. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know that man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind, quoting, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. This passage really expresses the tension that Peter lived in of, Faith and fear, or belief and doubt. He did believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed and saw that he did miraculous things. He believed that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah they had been waiting for. But Peter did not have a boldness that was in him to conquer the moments like this. He knew who Jesus was. It wasn't that he did, he wasn't denying that Jesus was the Son of God. But there wasn't a boldness in him to conquer this life or death possible moment. Peter couldn't even say to a little servant girl that he was friends with Jesus out of fear of what ha- may happen to himself. And moments before we said, we read that Peter said, I would even die for you, Jesus. But then we read about something amazing that happens later on after Jesus is put to trial, he carries a cross, nailed, whipped, died on a cross, he raises again, he's risen again three days later, and we get to the book of Luke says this in chapter 24, verses 46 to 49. And then he said, Yes, it was written, this is Jesus, by the way, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And then we turn to the book of Acts in chapter 2. If you're a Pentecostal, you know this one pretty well. But uh, just just a, a disclaimer here. The book of Acts is actually kind of part two of the book of Luke. They accredit the same author of Luke. And so when you actually read these books, you're meant to read them as kind of like Uh, a part one and a part two they're not meant to be like these separate texts they're kind of one long text with two different names one of the life of jesus and one of after jesus so acts two verses one to four it's titled the holy spirit comes on the day of pentecost who you are. I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be this foundation. You're going to be one of the leaders that starts the movement of the local church. And then he rises from the dead and, and then the disciples go, okay, you really are who you are. Because I'm pretty sure they were bummed out and depressed for three days while Jesus was taking the keys from hell, right? And then they see Jesus face to face. They see the holes in his hands and in his feet and they go, you are the Messiah. You are who you said you are. And then Jesus says, what I want you to do is hang around here a little longer, and I want you to pray for something specific that's going to help kickstart this message to go first from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And they have this experience where they're empowered to tell people about an invitation. And then a couple chapters or verses later in Acts 2, verses 14, 37, and 41, we read this. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. And I would encourage you to go and read what he preached. Because when you, when you learn about who Peter was beforehand, a couple chapters before in Luke, he couldn't even say that he was a friend of Jesus to a little girl that was just standing there. He was so ashamed. He was so scared. There was no boldness in him. He had a fear. A couple chapters later, he's empowered by the Spirit of God when he prayed and then he actually shouts out to the crowd. After he preaches, it says in verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Those who were gathered around and listening that day, they had a change of heart, just like Peter had a change of heart. And then verse 41, those who believed, that, uh, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 people, it's the first mega church ever. <laughs> and Peter was the pastor, okay? There were 3,000 people that were added. Following this passage, the church and believers began to join in communities across the nation, which over time is why we gather today. Jesus' invitation is not just limited to the forgiveness of our sins, although that's incredibly important. His invitation to us is also not just limited to a change in character and identity, although that is very important. But Jesus' invitation also includes us being filled with power from the Holy Spirit to do great works, and this says shred the gospel, but it means I should have wrote share the gospel, Um, and share the gospel more than we could ever do on our own strength. And for a long time, okay, I I didn't grow up Pentecostal. I started going to a Pentecostal youth group around seven or eight. And I really struggled and had a tension with this idea of of spirit baptism and the evidence of speaking in tongues. as That's what we believe theologically as Pentecostals. But over time, I I came to think about it in in this way. And I hope that this encourages you and kind of demystifies a little bit about Acts 2. Um, Yes, you being a believer can do incredible things for God. Right now, just where you are, you could do amazing things for God. There's no doubt about it. There's people that didn't grow up Pentecostal, that were never baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered in a certain way like Peter was, and they did amazing things. They'll probably do more amazing things than I could ever even imagine or do. I want to ask the question, what if God gave you something more? That's exactly what happened. This is not about tongues. It's not about Pentecostal theology, even though that's where we get it from. That's not the main point of the text. Peter, he couldn't do, I'm sure he did some cool things, but he couldn't do what he did without the power from the Holy Spirit in a unique way. When you accept the invitation from Jesus, yes, you're invited to share your story, and God's going to do incredible things in your life and the people around you. That's going to be evidence for you to hold on to. Yes, you're invited to change, that God is going to take your identity and, and what was your sin, and he's actually, Scripture calls you a saint, okay? Like, there's going to be a stained glass window in heaven of you. I don't know if that's true or not, but that would be super cool, right? But he also invites you to be empowered, and sometimes we don't want to think about that as much. Or we don't talk about it as much or wherever we came from, a different denomination or church, we, maybe we skip over that part or we don't quite understand it. But I want to encourage you this morning that the invitation of empowerment to you, you can do amazing things for God. Imagine what you could do if you were empowered by the Holy Spirit that would give you a boldness beyond anything you could ever imagine. Just like Peter who couldn't talk about Jesus to a little girl actually gets up in, in front of thousands and thousands of people and starts the church. It's by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just by Him. So I want to conclude today by just taking a moment to pray. So I'm just going to ask that you would just stand up as we kind of just be reverence to the Lord this morning. And I'm not going to ask for an altar call moment. The band's not going to come up. There's not going to be anything, you know, crazy about this moment. What I want to just do is pray a prayer of boldness over you as you go to conquer whatever's happening this week in your life and those that are in your life and that God's put in your circle to love and to encourage that you would have a boldness to be able to share the good news with them this week and next week and the following week. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for my friends this morning. I thank you for those that are gathered here today, those that are watching online and those that are going to tune in later on. God, I, pr- I thank you for their life God, thank you for the, all the different ways that they've uh, just been obedient and following you. And God, thank you for time and time again all the different stories that I've heard I'm going to continue to hear even after today's service of how God has been so faithful and Lord I pray that each person listening to this message this morning would know that their story is important that their story matters and is worth sharing and is worth continuing so God thank you that you are the author you are the writer of our life of our story God we thank you for what you've done God I also thank you that God you don't just leave us where we are when we're invited into faith to follow your son Jesus to follow in the way, but God, you give us a whole new outlook on life, a whole new worldview, a whole new different way of living, kingdom living. God, I pray just, uh, just uh, that, that people would be able to, um, God, just, just see the goodness and what you see, God, the, the, the way that you have set things to be in motion, Lord, that we would follow that without question, without doubt, God, but we would be full of faith and we would go, even when the world is saying live this way, identify with these things, God, that we would just be so convinced that, Lord, your way is the only way. So we choose in this moment collectively to say, God, we follow you, we believe you, we trust in you, and we are gonna live for you. God, thank you for that invitation to change. Thank you for the identity change, the name change, that we are not, sinners, but we are now saints, that we are children of God, sons and daughters of the most living God, and God, thank you for the invitation of boldness, God, I thank you for those that have continued to um, just tell their friends and their family and even those that would be considered an enemy about the goodness of who you are but Lord I pray that they would be filled with a boldness that Lord that they would pray and seek earnestly on their face and their knees for an empowerment that can only come from your Holy Spirit that lives inside them God that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit God not just for an experience not just for a certain kind of evidence even though those are very important but God that they would be empowered to be able to express this invitation that they want invited and accepted into their life to others that are around them lord we know that there's so many people loved ones co-workers friends social groups uh, all that kind of stuff god and they don't know you and lord You've chosen us to be the ones that influence. So God, I just pray for an increase of boldness this morning. Wherever my friends go this morning after this service, Lord, that they would be encouraged that, God, you walk with them, that you are for them, and, God, you have their back. So God, empower them this week in a unique and new way like never before. Would they seek you in prayer just like the disciples and a hundred people did up in the upper room, God? Would they have an experience where they receive boldness from heaven? And God, will we see your church continue to flourish just like Peter did. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for being here this morning. We love you. If, uh, if you are part of a kidsman team, I really encourage you to come back. I believe it's at uh, 1 o'clock uh, for that. And uh, it's going to be a great evening. Uh, if you want to talk about momentum for junior high, just come and see me after the service. I'd love to chat about that. Thanks again for joining online, all those who are watching. And we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.